0: Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. The Torah is so deep, and one of my favorite stories is that I I was in Jerusalem, and I was attending... Israelite by Rabbi David Aaron and it was the first class, it was the first session of the first class and it was really an introduction to Torah. I, I had been learning for a number of years, but, but never in a sort of like a, a formal setting. It was in this room in the, in the old city and with, you know, just stone walls and, and this Ottoman style roof with a dome and, you know, hundreds of years old. It was very cool. And there were a bunch of us uh, sitting behind tables, and Rabbi Aaron was at this big whiteboard. And he started off the, the first session, first class, with, with the question, what is Torah? And people raised their hands, and, and someone said, it's, it's a book of laws. And he said, very good. And he writes down on the whiteboard, book of laws. And then someone else raises their hand, and he says, go ahead. And, 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 and the person says, a book of history. And he goes, okay, great. And he writes down a book of history. And then I raised my hand and he says, go ahead. And I said, the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite. And he paused for a moment. And he said, okay, let's hold off on that for a moment. So, so anyway, but but that's what the Torah is. The Torah appears as a book. It, it exists in book form, but... Don't think that the Torah is a book if if you want a more expansive understanding of of what what the Jews are talking about what what our understanding of reality is. we say that the whole world is made out of the Torah that the that the, that the fabric of time and space that the fabric of all of creation is is made out of the energies of the Hebrew letters, and that there's a coherence to it and, and a vision to it and and when it's all put together, it is called Torah but that the that God makes the world out of the letters themselves and that the letters in its highest, most elemental level are just energies. They're just different wavelengths and that ultimately they, they take distinct forms and then ultimately they can even be pictorialized as letters and sequentialized as words. And that's what ultimately gets passed down at Mount Sinai, which is this sort of like, users digest to the universe because these different sequences of letters which are words which communicate actions in a physical world are ways of accessing all the different dimensions of reality so so the torah itself is a book it exists in book form but anyone who only thinks that it's a book doesn't have the the slightest understanding of of what we Jews understand the torah to be so a lot of a lot of times people say, "Well, what do you mean by Torah? Are you talking about like what are you talking about exactly?" And, and 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 the answer is when we're talking about Torah, we're really talking about the universe. And simultaneously we could be talking about the book itself, right? And this is how we can say that the Torah existed before the world was created. See, because if the Torah is just a book, how how does a book exist before the world exists? because there's no time or space, so there can't be a book without a world. But we say that the Torah did exist before the world was, was, was made. Why? Because the Torah, so to speak, is God's mind, right? God doesn't have any physicality, but, but God's vision for the world before the world was even created is the Torah. And as again, Rip Shlomo said so beautifully that, that the Torah is God's dreams for the world and prayers for the world. And that when you're keeping the Torah, you're, you're dreaming God's dreams and you're praying God's prayers, right? Because this was his initial intention for the universe before he even created the universe. And then he, he has his vision of, of the universe and then shapes the world out of his vision for the universe. So the world is actually made out of that vision. The world is actually made out of Torah itself. So... So when I say that the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite, that's what we're talking about. The finite meaning the actual book form of it, right? It it actually, you can actually access it in this sort of like blueprint type form, but that if you were to follow each letter of the Torah, if you could, if you could climb each letter, it would be this shaft of light that... That leads you from dimension to dimension to dimension to dimension, all the way back into God's mind, right? So that's 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 the Torah itself. Now, now we can have a better understanding when we talk about how when you look at a Torah, at, at a Torah scroll, that that's not ink on parchment. I mean, on one level, it's ink on parchment. That's the that's the idea of the infinite compressed on into the finite. On the finite level, it's ink and parchment, yeah. But, but when the Ramban, in his introduction to Chumash, says that the Torah is black fire on white fire, now we understand that we're talking about all of the energies of the universe and that the blank space of the Torah is white fire. Those are dimensions beyond our own, right? Everything that's there, but we can't see it with our eyes. The black ink is those things that are there that we can see with our eyes. But there's so much more to the universe than what we can see with our eyes. And so that then is the the white fire of the Torah, right? That's when you're starting to climb the letters into different dimensions, right? Now, remember, the angels are learning the Torah. In fact, the angels have this big confrontation with Moshe Rabbeinu when he goes up to receive the Torah, right? Remember, Moshe, it says that basically heaven came down to earth, Moshe, like, goes from the top of Mount Sinai into this cloud, he enters into heaven, and the angels, the malachim, are like, God, you're not seriously going to give the Torah to the Jewish people, are you? Like, to the world, to flesh and blood, you're not giving the Torah to them. Now, now from there, we see something very fundamental, which is that the Torah exists in heaven, and that the angels are studying the Torah. But the angels are accessing the letters and the energies of the Torah on an incredibly Deeper other dimensional level than we are. This is why Moshe Rabbeinu's arguments, why human beings should get the Torah, because God says to Moshe, tell them why we tell them why you should get the Torah. You expect Moshe to give the most mind blowing arguments to the angels since he wins this debate. But what he says to the angels is so straightforward that you're confused like how can these arguments actually convince the angels but but based on what we're saying all this is going to make sense in a moment Moshe Rabbeinu says do you have parents angels that you need a a, a commandment to honor them right and the angels are like no right so it seems really simple like of course angels don't have parents they don't have flesh and blood mother and father that they need a mitzvah to honor their parents right but meanwhile, the angels are blowing their minds because they're like, there's such a thing as parents because they don't exist in a physical world. They're studying these same words on this other dimensional level where it's like the shot for us is the most mind-blowing, sowed secrets to them. Do you get tired working during the week that you need Shabbos to rest, says Moshe? And they're like, whoa, there's a world, and you have to pay rent, and there's like all this thing, and then you get tired, and you need rest. Right? So, So, and this goes on, this goes on, and then by the way, just so you know, what is the argument? M- meanwhile, all these arguments that, that, that Moshe is making, it's, they're, they're amazing to the angels, right? Because the angels are learning the, the Torah on another, another dimensional level. But Moshe doesn't win the argument until he says to them the following, do you have a Yetsahara? Do you have resistance built within you, a negative inclination, a feeling to go against the truth that you need the Torah? And then it says in the Gemara that as soon as the angels heard that, immediately they gave the Torah to Moshe. Immediately they consented because the angels realize there's only one creation in all of the worlds that can resist God, and yet overcome that resistance and serve him, and that's human beings. And that's why human beings are higher than angels. See, this is, we, we, we tend to think of it in, in very black and white, very linear terms, which is that angels are holier, they make less mistakes, they make no mistakes, so therefore they must be higher than humans. Well, there's some truth to that logic, but ultimately it's not true at all. Because the human being who overcomes resistance to doing good, who desires to do whatever we desire, even if it's not the will of God, we still strongly desire it, right, and run after it. To be able to overcome that is something that even the angels can't do. And so that's what makes human beings the crown of creation. Right. That, that's amazing. And that's that's why all of our lives, this 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 point informs the entire nature of our life in this world and our entire relationship with ourself and our own good and, and, and bad inclinations, because God desired a. A setting where such resistance could take place. And that's why he created this world. In other words, God wanted to create an environment where he was concealed so that we would have to choose and have the ability to choose. That's that's the amazing thing. So, So people sort of like get very angry at this world, and they get very angry at God for being so concealed in this world. In fact, as I learned, God is the most concealed he can possibly be in this world where if you look for him, he can still be found. Right? He's the most concealed he can be, where if you look for him, he can still be found. That's God in this world. So we get very upset about that. We get very angry about that. God, why are you hiding yourself? But when you understand the idea that that human beings are the only creation in all the spiritual worlds who, who have this ability to do the wrong thing and yet choose to do the right thing that can only take place in an environment where God is hidden. So that's the whole point of this world. That's the whole point of this world. But then we get to accomplish things that are the highest in all of the universes. That's the upside of it, right? So 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 you see that in the first letter of the Torah. Remember, the Zohar says that the Torah is the blueprint of the universe. So now when you get to the bays of reishis, you're at, so to speak, the, the, the door of creation, right? Because that's the first letter of the blueprint of this entire enterprise, cold reality. You're at the front door, that's the bays of reishis. So what does the bays stand for? Well, Bayes is the number two in Gamatria, right? Aleph is one, Bayes is two, because it's a second letter. So Bayes as the number two stands for free choice. Why? Because you can either do this, one thing, or you can do that, a second thing, the other thing. You can either do, remember, Bayes is two. This is the front door of our entire existence, you can either do one thing, the right thing, or you can do the other thing. You see how all of reality is summed up within the first letter of the first word of the Torah. Now remember, the Zohar also says that all of of the Torah is contained within the first word of the Torah, is contained within Breshi's. So so you see this model, which is mirrored in quantum physics, which is the idea that everything is worlds within worlds, within worlds, within worlds. So the entire Torah is within the first word of the Torah, Breshis. And are you ready for this? Breshis is within the dot of the letter B's of Breshis. <laughs> so, it, right, because the entire Torah is is coming from above and so all of the Torah becomes the infinite compressed into the finite it's all being compressed into the dot of the days of brashis because it's all the wisdom of above and then it gets spelled out and lengthened for us to understand in this world so everything is within the first word and the first word is in the dot within the first letter of the first word okay the whole universe is within each of us all ten spheres are out. All the energies of creation are within each person. So each person is a microcosm of the entire universe. So again, you see another example within the Torah, within ourselves, of worlds within worlds within worlds within worlds. Okay. And so, so we're now going to to look further into this because our sages teach that everything is contained within the Torah. Everything is contained within the Torah. Now, if you think about it, just on a very practical level, how can that be true? How can that be true? Because the Torah is only really, relatively speaking, a few pages long. If you take like your your average Torah book, which contains the Torah in it, half of it's in English, the whole bottom half is commentary, so... So how much of that, even that just single book is actual Torah? Very little of it. So so you realize the Torah is actually pretty small. So if the Torah is so small, how can all of information, everything, be contained within it? How is that possible? And the answer is that there are many ways to unpack the Torah. The Torah is existing on so many different levels at the same time. And, and the rabbis have given us different divine methodologies of how to get out the inner levels of the Torah and to explicate them. Okay? So, so we're going to talk about one of the very fascinating, relatively little known, relatively little known. Those who have been studying do know about this, but but to the average person, it's, this technique is, is unknown. And we're going to get into it a little bit. It's a very, very, very deep subject, very, very deep. And I'm not suggesting that I'm giving you the last word on it, but I, I will give you a bunch on it, okay? And this method is called Atbash. Now, Atbash is very, very deep and very, very fascinating. What Atbash does is it says, okay, there are 22 letters in the Torah. Let's divide that up into two lines, okay? We'll have one line and then uh, a line below that. One line of 11 letters. And beneath that, we'll have a second line of 11 letters. And between those two lines of 11 letters, we're gonna have all 22 letters of the Torah but we're gonna write it in a certain way where it's going to sort of make a horseshoe shape in terms of how we're writing out the letters. We're gonna start with Aleph, and then we're gonna to go to Bez, Gimel, dalid, right? We're gonna go all the way to number, letter number 11, right? Which is gonna be the letter Chaf, and then we're not gonna start again under Aleph. We're gonna kinda of make a little horseshoe and we're gonna continue with the letters We're going to make under Chaf, which is the 11th letter. We're going to start the next line under the letter Chaf with the letter Lamed. And then we're going to go all the way so that the last letter of the Torah, Taf, is going to appear under the letter Aleph. So again, two lines of 11 letters. But now here's the point of the whole thing. Under the first letter will be the last letter. Under the letter Aleph is going to be the letter Taf, the first and the last letter. And Aleph Taf spells at. Now, under the second letter is bays is going to be the second to last letter, shin. You know what that spells? Bosh. So there we have atbosh. Okay, that's, a, that's why they call it atbosh. So again, 11 letters, and underneath that, another 11 letters, and now they're going to be these pairs of letters. And now we'll get to the verb. I don't know if this is an actual verb, but for our purposes it is. What does it mean, to atbash, a word? Okay, now we're going to verbify it. So what does that mean? That means that you can take any word, any word in Hebrew, and then you can look at your little chart, 11 letters over 11 letters, and then look at the corresponding letter. So like if you have a word that begins with the letter Aleph, well, what, what does your chart say? Underneath Aleph is tough, So you would substitute the letter tough there. And then if you wanted to say Atbash, the word Emes, look under or above the letter Mem and take the corresponding letter for Mem, take the corresponding letter for tough, And now you're going to get the Atbash of whatever word you've selected in Hebrew. Now it gets even crazier because it's very common when people do atbash, you're ready for this? To take the gamatria of the atbash of the word. <laughs> All right, now we're going into yet another dimension. We're going from dimension to dimension, now to another dimension. We're now gonna take the gamatria of the atbash. And this is a technique that our sages use and they come up with wondrous things. Now, let me just tell you something. It's uh, important to know this. Some people, and I run into people like this all the time, and I just sometimes I smile, other times I yell at them. Which is when they tell me, hey, you know, gematria, blah blah blah. You know, you can turn anything into anything, right? And you 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 you'll hear many people, you know, cynically mutter these things. And what but but they're raising a, a, a genuine issue and, and we should address it. I had this conversation with someone on Thursday night and for some reason this example popped into my head and I said to him, you know, if I said if you if you spill tomato sauce on the Mona Lisa, <laughs> is it is it any less a masterpiece? Or or I said, if you spill tomato sauce on the Mona Lisa, whose fault is that? (laughs) And he looked at me, he was like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And so what I explained to him is that, in this example, the Mona Lisa is a masterpiece. If someone does something stupid and spills tomato sauce on it, That's their fault. It's not Leonardo da Vinci's fault. He didn't make any less of a masterpiece because you went and spilled something on it. The Torah itself is the greatest divine masterpiece. If someone wants to use their intellect to come up with falsehood and then to throw, so to speak, tomato sauce on the Mona Lisa, so to speak, That's not God's fault. That's that's the person's lack of understanding. In other words, words, if if someone takes these techniques and someone uses them to show a Torah basis in falsehood, that is their own lack of understanding. That's not the fault of the methodology. It just means the methodology is being misused do you understand right like people can are medicines which will heal you but you can overdose on a medicine and it will kill you so is that the medicine's fault or is that your fault so so these these methodologies are very subtle and they're very divine but can they be, mis- be misused absolutely so the the or HaChaim sets out a, a general philosophy about to what extent are we allowed to come up with our own ideas in Torah. Okay? And, and he gives the most liberal kind of use case, providing that the thought that someone comes up with doesn't contradict Jewish law. Okay, or the fundamentals of Jewish thought. So there's room for us to put the Torah that that God put inside of us and the original insights that God put inside of us to bring them out. In other words, to to reveal that originality and those endless depths of the Torah, which we've been blessed with in terms of God creating us with with you know, with a share of the Torah that he puts inside of us. But that's providing that we don't use these thoughts to try to uproot or undermine the fundamental tenets of Jewish law or Jewish thought. So, so hopefully that's clear. Hopefully that's clear. And anyone who does do that, and who does doing that knowingly, you know, is is you know heading down a, a a terrible path basically, okay, so so with that in mind, I want to show you some some amazing things about the word brashis since that since that's what we're talking about today we're talking about brashis we're talking about the first word of the Torah that contains the entire Torah right and we're talking about atbash so. Atvash is is amazing, and we're gonna start to do a little bit of Atvash with the word brishis, okay? But in a very specific, amazing way, from the Piskei Sharim, this holy book that that uh, was written by one of our greatest kabbalists, Rav Yitzchak Isaac Kaver, and the Piskei Sharim means the opening of the gates, right, of of divine understanding. So, so before we get into it. I want to tell you one of the things that the Pischei Sharim says in terms of, why are we learning these deep things? Why are we learning these deep things at all? And he refers to Kabbalah as Hachma Ha'emes, right? Which is the, 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 the true wisdom, the true wisdom, right? And, and he says that it was given to Moshe Rabbeinu, and Mount Sinai, and through our neviim, through our prophets, through our true prophets, these these yesotos, right? These 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 fundamentals about the depths of reality were communicated through Moshe and through the prophets. Okay, very good. Now he says that that these thoughts basically are going to explain how God guides the world and how God created the world. And then he goes into a point that I really want to share with you because it's amazing how much of the human condition and life in this world is captured by this one thought. He says, and I, I believe he's drawing from Yermia here. He takes a verse from one of the prophets. And he points to three, let's call them a, what we would call as human beings from a, let's say a secular level, objective measures of success in this world. Okay, so what are the big three? In other words, if you... If you were to see another person containing one of these three things, you would say, ah, man, that, that, that guy's got it. He, he made it, right? Okay, what are the three? Money, power, and wisdom. Money, power, and wisdom. And if you think about it, that makes sense, you know, if you meet a, a distinguished professor or someone with a Nobel Prize or something like that, you go, wow, that guy, I'm, I'm amazed. You know, you, you wanna honor such a person, right? That's wisdom. Money, you know, someone's got a big yacht or whatever it is, you know, th- those people, a lot of people look up to. And then power, you know, you can call the shots in any situation or you you you're the head of state with an army or whatever it is, you can impose your will on people who don't want to do what you say, but you're going to have the last word because you've got all the armaments and the soldiers, and what you say is what goes. Okay. There you go. Those are the three objective measures of success. Now, we've. You could ask a big question about that. Which is, is that how a fair God runs the world? I mean, how inequitably is He distributing these resources? Right? We would imagine that a, a God who's good is distributing good resources equally among his creation. So what's going on? How many people, you know, are, you know, sailing around in yachts, for goodness sakes, right? Who's got that kind of money? Who's 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 can snap their fingers and whatever they want gets done because they've got all these goons or soldiers or whatever it is, right? And how many people are looking through telescopes and coming up with, you know, like mathematical formulas for 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 the the underlying principles of the universe. So so you can ask yourself, you know what's God up to? He He gives success to a handful of people and what about the the, the, the rest of us seven billion people? Okay. so now we have to look back in that verse because because God says, that, you know something? If you want to feel good about yourself, if you want to actually consider yourself a success, now I'm putting everything that we've learned into the context of the verse. And this is God talking now, okay? If you want to consider yourself a success, don't look to your money, says God. Don't look to your power. Don't look to your intellect, but look to this one thing. To what extent do you know me? And now, isn't it amazing? God makes his ability for everyone to know him equal across all of creation. (laughs) And God says, that's the only measure that I am looking to to determine success in this world. To what extent are you trying to know me? Isn't that amazing? How in one thought you're capturing all of, you know, someone says to you, life isn't fair. You say, sit down, let me tell you what the Pischei says. <laughs> in, in one thought, he's, he's explaining all of life, the whole world the whole distribution of resources. And now, with that, we can get even closer to understanding something amazing. Something that the sages say in Pirkei Avos. Who is rich? A person who's a person who is happy with their portion, with what they have. Which means, see, it's amazing because they're defining in the, in the deepest way right now who a rich person is and they're not giving a dollar amount. Isn't that interesting? They're saying, who is, whoever is happy with their portion, whoever's happy with their lot, that's the rich person. Now, I think all of us know rich people who are miserable and poor people who are happy. So you see, it's really true. It's really true. The rich person is anyone, depending on no matter what, what amount of money you have, who's happy with their life. Now, there's a story and I'm paraphrasing it. It's, 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 it's more detailed than I'm telling you, but it, it's a good story. So it goes something like this. There's a, you know, some rich guy who's on vacation and I don't know where it is Mexico the Caribbean wherever it is you know and he sees this this poor fisherman and this poor fisherman is is you know just catching fish and and he he seems content but but the the kind of the the, the rich the rich tourist says to him look let me give you some advice <laughs> so I'm going to tell you how to really make it here okay you're catching fish, but if you get like 10 guys working for you to catch fish, you're gonna have a lot of fish. And then with all the money that you make from all those fish, you can buy like a big boat. Now you can take that big boat out into the water, you can catch even more fish. And now with all the money you're making for that, you can buy a whole fleet of boats. And then you can catch so many fish that at a certain point, you're not gonna to have to work at all. And you can do whatever you want. He says, and the guy says, but, but, Right now, I'm doing what I like to do. (laughs) I enjoy walking on the beach and I just catch what I need. I'm doing it right now. I have to go through that whole crazy process. So years from now, I'm doing what I'm doing right now. And I had that experience. I had that experience in my own life. I, I was walking to shul and I just have to say, you know, there's so many blessings that come... With keeping Shabbos, and one of the blessings I don't I don't know if people talk about it so much, is 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 walking to shul on a, on a Shabbos morning or walking home from shul, and you know if you're privileged to have kids, you know that's that's special time kind of just kind of walking with your kids, and if you're walking alone, that's special time because it's kind of just you and your thoughts and you can't work. You couldn't take a work call if you wanted to take a work call. You know, another another great blessing of Shabbos is that you know, especially now that we've got email and texting and everything like that, people now are working longer work days. They've documented this than ever because anyone can get you at home at any time during the day or night, and there are many work environments where that's considered totally okay to do. And so basically, whether you're in the office or you're out of the office, as long as you've got your phone and you always got your phone with you, you're in the office, you're on the job. So so, there's this sense that you should always be working. And when you're not working, you feel guilty about not working because maybe I should be working. So one of the beautiful things about Shabbos is not only aren't you working, but you're not allowed to work. And not only aren't you allowed to work and you can't work, you get reward, eternal reward for not working. <laughs> so what could be better than that? You actually have permission not to work. And you're rewarded for it forever. So anyway, I'm walking to, I'm walking to shul and I'm by myself in my Thoughts are, you know, kind of wandering. And I I hit on this question. I asked myself this question, which is, what is my success fantasy, right? We're talking about success now, money, power, wisdom, right? So I was thinking professionally, what's my success fantasy? So I thought to myself, well, I, I write and produce for television. What If I created a show, and that TV show was like a critical darling, like, you know, got rave reviews, fans loved it, it ran for seasons and seasons, it made this jackpot of money, like that, that seems to be like, like a, 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 a great, a great version of, you know, the ideal, and then I thought to myself, well, let's say you had all that, what would you be doing right now, if you had all of it? and I thought to myself, well, it's Shabbos, and it's the morning, so I guess I'd be going to shul. <laughs> and I thought to myself, but which shul? You could go to any shul in the world. And I thought, well, my favorite shul is the Happy Minion. I would be going to the Happy Minion. And then I realized, that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> so, so what is that? That is this idea of being sameach bechelka. So... So, hey Perry, I just saw you there. Hashem should bless you. Everyone take a, a moment, close your eyes. We're all davening for Pri, Danielle, then Sarah Blima, okay? That Hashem should just send all of his light to Holy Perry and he should be blessed with good news and with a quick recovery and yomim a long and happy life with his holy wife and children yeah okay so so that that's what it means to be that you're that you're that you're happy with what you have and hashem gives everyone this ability because god says you know something you know according to your mazel, and how each person needs to fix their soul. Remember, Judaism believes in reincarnation. And we say that most people who are here, that new souls coming down into the world are few and far between. Which means that the operative assumption that each of us should make is that we've been here before, and even that we've been here many times before. Right? And we're, we're, we're just trying to fix whatever... Last things it is that we need to fix. And so, some people are given these three things, power, money, wisdom, whatever it is, because they need those things in order to have the wherewithal to rectify whatever it is they need to rectify within their soul. So they're given it because they need it. Not because God is playing favorites, and it's sort of like, okay, you, I'm going to give this to, but not you. It, that's not like it. God gives everyone what it is that they need in order to fix their souls. So so if you have it, you need it, okay? That's why, you know, it's it's a little bit of a strange Rashi. It says that Yaakov Avinu... Right, right. This is right before he confronts Esav, who wants to kill him and kill out his family. He's there with 400 soldiers. He, the last time he saw him, he, th- he threatened to kill Yaakov Avinu. And now he's there with this whole army. Right. And, and now Yaakov has separated his family into different camps, if, thinking if Esav gets to one of the camps, the other camp will survive. So it's really like this total existential crisis. And now all of a sudden, amidst these circumstances, Yaakov remembers there are these little jars of oil that he left on the other side of the river. I have to go and get these jars of oil because they belong to me and I forgot them. And now, by the way, when he goes to the other side, that's when he's going to meet the angel of Asav and he's going to have the wrestling match with him, right, where he conquers an angel. So this is, and gets the name Israel, Yisrael, right? Which we just learned. Yisrael, like, this has been blowing my mind. It's, it's got all the letters of our holy fathers and mothers in it, right? Israel is Yud, Shin, Resh, Aleph Lamed, okay? So that's Yud is Yaakov and Yosef, or rather Yaakov and Yitzchak. Shin is Sarah, Resh is Rivka and Rachel, Aleph is Avraham, and Lamed is Leah. You've got the four fathers and the four mothers, all in the name Israel. In other words, the, the people who made the Jewish people, the people who made Israel, are all in the word Israel. Again, the divinity of the Torah. It's just you see it again and again and again and again and again. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop the levels of the Torah. That the name of, of the Jewish people should have all the people who made the Jewish people? How is that possible? Because it's, it's divine. That's how it's possible. It's divine. Okay. So what's the point? The point is, is that everyone has what they need in order to fix their soul. Everyone has what they need in order to fix their soul. So it says that the tzaddikim, why is Yaakov going back under these dire circumstances to get these jars of oil, for goodness sakes? It, uh, because he understands that God, if God gave it to you, then on some level you need it. And so Rashi says that the tzaddikim, the holy ones, really appreciate their possessions. In other words, understand the depths of this. It's not greed God forbid. It's not greed, God forbid, that, hey, that's mine, that's mine. No, it's this divine level of appreciation that if I have it, I must need it in order to fix my soul. Doesn't mean you can't share it. Doesn't mean you can't give it away, right? If you're doing it with holy intention, absolutely. But not to be dismissive of the things that you have, right? Right? Because God is giving it to us ultimately because we need it to fix our souls. Now, let's get back to the ultimate point, and then we're going to go back into the Atbash. And that is that the thing that God makes available to absolutely everyone is the ability to know God. And from God's perspective, he counts that as the end of everything. That our life in this world and all of our material circumstances are just so that we should have a concrete context in order to appreciate and to know God. And of course, we say Torah emet The Torah is the Torah of truth. So if you want to access the truth of creation, if you want to access the truth of God, you do it through the Torah. Because God himself dreamed up the world through this thing that we call the Torah, right? So it it, it actually is, it actually is God's own vision for the world that we're accessing, right? See, that's that's important because, you know, everyone can make up their own version of reality. But I want to live in God's reality. God's own reality. God who created the world and who created me, I want to live in his reality. I can make up my own reality. I can say there were two elephants and they fell in love and they had a baby and that baby we call the universe. I, I can make up a million different <laughs> ways of explaining what is going on? But it's not true. Do you understand? It's not true. I want to live in the truth. Okay. Now. Now let's go deep. And again, what I'm telling you is from the Pischei The opening of the gates. Rav Yitzhak Isaac You want to just blow your mind from, like, one side of the world to the other? Then just meditate on this. This is a thought you can think about literally for the rest of your life. The word breishis, which we said, you know, it's translated as in the beginning, right? That's, That's, you know, the King James version of the translation, but it's not the Torah translation. I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of Rebbe Shimon Bar Yochai that breishis means out of beginnings. In other words, out of the fabric of beginnings, God created the world, right? Meaning to say that every single moment in our life is a new beginning because the whole world is a sequence of new beginnings. It's one beginning after another beginning after another beginning, right? It's all beginnings. And then you sequence them together And then you can get to the end. But never give up. Never give up. Because the world is being created and recreated every single moment. Every single moment is a new beginning. That's why the entirety of the Torah, which is the fabric of all of reality, is contained within the world, within the Word, out of beginnings. Because everything is a new beginning. Okay. Now listen to this. The word brechis, beginnings. And remember, the word beginning means that there's a middle and an end. (laughs) The the word braishis itself is telling you that there are more events coming. Beginning implies middle and end. So the very first word of the Torah not only contains the entire Torah, but it's also instructing you that you are part of a process that, which is, that, that is going to unfold. Because brechis means beginnings, out of beginnings, which implies a middle and an end, as we're going to see. Okay. Now listen to this. The gematria for the word Breshit is 913. Now, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver points out something unbelievable. 913 contains the number 613. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Have you ever realized every time that you look at the word breishis, you're looking at all 613 mitzvahs? <laughs> but doesn't it make sense? Because didn't we just say that the Zohar says that the entire Torah is contained within the word brashis So breishis is the number 913, which contains the number 613. That is far out, okay? But now it gets infinitely more intense. That leaves the number 300, right? Because 300 plus 613 equals 913, which is the gematria of brashas. All right, you ready for this now? God's holiest name, the Yudke Vavke, right? This is the most exalted, exalted, highest, holiest name of God in the universe. If you take the Atbash of the Yudke Vavke, and then you take the letters of that Atbash and take the Gamatria for that, it adds up to 300. So that means, let's, let's work this out, okay? That means the word Breshis, which stands for all of creation, the entirety of the universe, the physical realms and the infinite spiritual realms. The word breishis is the atbash of Hashem's holiest name, meaning to say the most concealed version, the most unknowable version of God's holiest name and how God reveals himself in this world through the 613 commandments, that is psha, That is our definition of what creation is. It's God in his most hidden form, revealing himself through the 613 commandments. And that is the word precious That is creation. That is reality. Because what did we say earlier? That God makes the world out of the Torah, right? That the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite. That the Torah is the fabric of creation itself. And do you see how you actually see all of that within the word brashis? It's God's holiest name in its most cryptic form, the atbash of the yudke vavke, adding up to 300 plus the 613 commandments, right? God radiating out his light and it crystallizing in the form of the 613 commandments. And that equals the word, out of beginnings, creation, this world. to think that you have an entire description of the universe and the Torah within the first word of the Torah itself, the process of it. This is beyond mind-blowing. And I'm telling you, you can think about this for the rest of your life. Now, I was reflecting on this as I was going to sleep, Shabbos night. And right before I fell asleep, this thought came to me. Atbash, these letters of the Torah, atbash, the first letter and the second letter and the last letter and the second to last letter, olive, bays, tough and shin, all four of those letters, atbash, appear in the word brechis. (laughs) So when you ask yourself, where are we getting these systems of substituting letters? Atbash is in the word brechis. It's right there. And you want to hear something crazy also? You know where Atbash is explained? It's in the Gomorrah, in Gomorrah Shabbos, on Kuf Dalit 104. I was driving in my car one time and I realized the Atbash of Kuf is Dalit. In other words, where the Gomorrah decided to put the explanation of Atbash is on a page that's an Atbash, Kuf (laughs) Dalit. I almost crashed my car, I was like, "Ah!" So God says, can you ever know me in my deepest depths? In my deepest depths, I'm beyond. But I reveal myself through the Torah Mitzvah, through the Torah and through the Torah mitzvot, through the 613 commandments. See, this is why we say any religion which comes and tries to uproot the mitzvot is a lie. I'm not trying to put anyone down, honestly, but at a certain point, we have to talk about Emerson and Shekhar, truth and falsehood. And if you're trying to uproot the tenets, the, the fundamentals, the foundations of reality, the 613 mitzvot, if you're trying to uproot them, then you're not coming from a place of truth. Simple as it is, simple as it is. We can struggle to do them and, 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 and all of the rest. And, and it doesn't mean they're not difficult for us. And it doesn't mean that there are, are some that will never understand and, a, and, a, and accept, but to deny their existence and the fundamental role that they play in the universe and in our lives. That 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 would not be the the pathway of the Torah for sure, for sure. So so now listen to this. What does it mean that the letters of Atbash are in the word brashis So I wanna I wanna give the following explanation, okay? I think that what it means is God has a, created a beginning of creation, and God has created the end. And that the beginning and the end, what we would call the, you know, the Zmanatikun, the time of fixing, Mashiach, all of that was contained right within the beginning of creation itself. As it says, God, before he created the world, imagined a perfect world. And everyone who has this question, and we all have this question, which is that if there's a God, why is the world so messed up? It's because the world hasn't arrived at the end yet. This process, which is hinted at in the very first word of the Torah, we have not arrived at that time of perfection yet, but that's why we're here, to use the Torah itself, the mitzvot of the Torah itself, to finish creation. So this is the atbash. At the beginning, God already decreed the end. And he already implanted perfection into the world. And we're just setting about to reveal that perfection. So that's atbash within the word Breshis itself. You have a beginning and you have an end that's already been implanted into creation itself. Okay, well that's four letters, atbash. Right? Aleph, tough, base, Shin. But there are two more letters in Breshis. Resh and Yud. That adds up to 210. So I want to say the following. You know, the Jews were slaves in Egypt during hard la- doing hard labor for, guess what, how many years? 210 years. I want to say that's the 210 that's within Breshis itself. My wife said something beautiful, that since Breshis is talking about all of creation, the Jewish people became a nation in Egypt during those 210 years. So in other words, Breshis is also hinting at the creation of the Jewish people through the 210 years of slavery in Egypt. But I want to say something else, which is that exile is part of the path of this creation. In other words, you have creation, you have exile itself, and then you have and then you have the redemption. And the 210 is actually one of three different periods of time that the Torah says that the Jews were slaves, and each one of these time periods is counting it from a different period in Jewish history. So for instance, one other is 400 years, and that counts from the birth of Yitzhak. It's 400 years till we get out of Egypt. And in fact, do you want to hear something way out? Yitzhak's birthday, Yitzhak Avina, the son of Avraham, his birthday is the first day of Pesach. So, you ready for this? Do you know why Pesach happens on the 15th day of Nisan? Because that's exactly to the day, the 400th year that Yitzchak was born. In other words, in this this way of understanding, of calculating it, we were to be slaves for 400 years from the first day that Yitzchak was born. So that's why Pesach is on Yitzchak's birthday, because as soon as we get to that day... As soon as we get to that day of the 400th year of the anniversary of Yitzchak's birth, we're out of Egypt. Look how exact God is. You know the Parsha Miketz, it says Yosef was in prison for years. But Miketz is when he gets out. Because at the end of that two years that he had to stay, those extra two years in prison, to the second, to the second that that time came, he was, he was out. Meet Cates. Cates means the end, like the end of days. When that time arrives to the second, we're going to hear that great trumpet blast, that great chauffeur blast. That's how exact God's accounting is. And you see, w- what, what, what confuses us is because God is working on not just like guiding our lives precisely in second by second in terms of our own personal experience, But God is guiding history on the level of generations and generations. But it's no less exact because the time frame is longer. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It can be 400 years, but it happens to the day. To the day. It's no less exact. And then there's also another year total, which is 430 years. But you see. The number 210, the shortest period, is contained within breishis. Why? Because what I'd like to suggest is that's where our free choice comes in. In other words, the redemption is built into creation itself, and it can come at any moment, and it's up to us. It says in the Navi, in the prophet, that that God is going to bring the redemption, which means... Two things at the same time. It means quickly in its time. So so the sages go, wait a second. What do you mean God's going to bring the redemption quickly in its time? In its time means, you know, that there's a deadline. Quickly means ahead of the deadline. So what is it? Is it quickly or is it in its time? And the sages say, exactly. Well, what do you mean exactly? It means both. If we create vessels for the light, in terms of doing Torah and mitzvah, if we if we create those vessels for the light, then it happens ahead of time. If not, then it happens at its decree time, but it can happen at any time. That's why I always get like a little bit nervous when people say to me, oh, look at the headlines, um, this, you know, this country is doing this, and this is like it says in the prophets, and then and, and perhaps, don't you think that maybe that's hinting at that right now could be the end of days? And I, I always get, like, nervous when I hear people talk like that. And let me tell you why. Because the redemption can happen any day, and it can have happened any day since the beginning of time. <laughs> You don't need headlines. You don't need to darshan this prophet versus that prophet in the gematria of this word times the number of nuclear reactors that they're trying to make in Iran. You don't have to do that. It can happen at any time. At any time. When we make those vessels for the light, then it happens. That's it. The ball's in our court. The bowl is in art court, it's never not been in art court. Okay. Now I want to go back into the philosophy of Atbash according to the Gomorrah. So, so again, this is on page 104 Kuf Dalid, which again it is in Atbash itself, Kuf and Dalit. Exchange with each other. And what Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says in the Fikeyam is that the arrangement of the letters themselves, the two levels of the letters, remember you have two lines of 11, one above the other. One represents the inside and the other represents the outside. So you have like if you want to put it in this way holiness and tuma right the 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 proper sort of like channeling of of the goodness of god or through our misuse of free choice the manifestation of impurity in this world which comes through our accessing the light in a in a in in, in, in a way that 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 serves our own primal sort of like desires as opposed to something higher and more refined. So we can sort of like refract the divine light and, and distort it. And that would be the, 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 the bottom, the, the outside letters, right? But there's no up and down. There's no up and down when you get into the mystical realms. So if you make two lines of the letters, the top letter isn't necessarily up and the bottom letters isn't necessarily down. It's just whichever way you turn it, okay? You understand? So so you can make the outside the inside, but you can make the inside the outside. Okay, so now with this in mind, it says, I'm going to read to you from the Gomorrah now. In the system of Atbash, Aleph and Tuf stand for the following statement that God makes concerning a wicked person, right? Because now we're talking about how the outside is being made from the inside, or the inside is being turned into the outside in in not a great way, and so they quote this verse. Okay, which is, ot, which which begins with the letter aleph. Ta'ev, which begins with the letter taf, right? That's at, right? Es havela, okay, and and what that means. So that's that's an example of atbash because the. First letter of the first word is Aleph, and the second, and the first word of this word, the first letter of the second word is, is Taf. Is me he abandoned, shall I desire him? Now, what's fascinating about that is me he abandoned, this is God speaking, me he abandoned, shall I desire him? Meaning to say that Atbash is showing how the Inside, God, me, is being corrupted with the second line, with the outside, abandonment, okay? So so that's one of the dynamics of Atbash. But now let me tell you something more amazing, which is the Barashah interprets this as a question that God does desire the wicked, so now let me reread that statement, okay, the way the Marashah understands it. And by the way, just, in, just for your Judaism 101 here, whenever we have gadita, like deep things like this, our first stop, just like our first stop in trying to understand the text would be Rashi, when it comes to gadita, your first stop is the Marasha. okay? So what does the Marasha say? Read it like a, like a question, that God does desire the wicked. So here's how you read it. Listen to my inflection. Me he abandoned. Shall I desire him? Like, of course I'm going to desire him. In other words, God wants all of us to return. Okay. So now, what you see here is, is something really, really interesting. And I'm going to relate this back now to the dynamics of these two lines of 11. These two lines of Atbash. The top line in in this particular version being the inside, the bottom line being the outside. So if you read me, he abandoned, should I I desire him? Meaning, I I don't desire him. Meaning that the person turned the inside into the outside. The person corrupted the light, okay? But now, listen to it again, the way the Marsha tells us to learn it. I continue to desire him. (laughs) meaning that God wants you to turn the outside back into the inside, which is Atbash. Do you understand? That's the flipping of the letters. That's what happens with Atbash. You take the outside letter, and then you turn it to the top letter. You flip it into the inside. You flip the outside into the inside, the outside into the inside. That is return. That is tshuva. So Atbash is showing on the dynamics simultaneously of distancing yourself and at the same time returning. So, okay, we're starting to get late, but I, I gotta give you one more idea in Atbash. So I saw this from Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, Allah Shalom, who is explaining this in the name of the Vilna Gon, his explanation of Atbash. And by the way, you should know Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver, the Piskei Sharm we've been learning with up until now, is drawing all of his understanding from the Vilna Gon. So here's what the Vilna Gon says. You have two levels. Now, let me, let me give you an example before I kind of give you the philosophy of it. So just so we're grounded and following each other. Imagine I want to give you the recipe for how to make a certain dish, okay? I'll speak and speak and speak, and when I get to the last ingredient, then the recipe is complete, and now you can begin to understand what the recipe is. Do you understand? Until I finish speaking, you can't fully understand. Imagine I'm giving you directions to my house. I say you take this freeway, then you go down this street and this street, and I'm at this number address. When I finish speaking, then you understand how to get to my house. You get it? So you have two dynamics at work there. You have revelation and perception. When the speaker finishes speaking, the speaker has revealed all that there is to reveal. Then the listener kicks in, and perceives that which has been spoken. All right? So now let's fit this into Atbash. The normal ordering of the letters, the way we read words the normal way, that's the revelation. That's the speaker revealing it. When you get to the end of the word, now you know what the word is. Now you can begin to perceive the word, the meaning of the word itself. Okay? Hopefully that's clear. Now, listen to this. I want to apply that principle to the word brechis. See, people have so many questions about how is God running the world. But guess what? In the end of days, everything is going to be clear. So if all of the world, if brechis is a timeline, the word brechis is a timeline for creation. Isn't it interesting that the last letter of brechis is also the last letter of the olive bays? (laughs) That Breshis ends with the letter Taf? Meaning to say when God finishes Breshis, when we get to the end of days, we're going to begin to understand God. Now guess what the letter Taf is in Atbash? Aleph. In other words, when God gets to the letter Taf of Breshis, we will understand the Aleph of Hashem. Because Taf is Aleph in Atbash. At the end of days, we'll say, oh, God, that's what you were doing. That's what you meant by that. That's what that was all about. Okay. We'll stop here, but maybe this is just a little taste of just how infinite the Torah is. And we're just doing this with one word, and we haven't even finished this word yet. Do you know there's something like 90 chapters on the word breishis? That's the Takune zohar. Just explaining the word breishis. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what every letter in the Torah is? What every word in the Torah is? What every crown of what every letter is? And they all come together in the mitzvot, which God gives us as the greatest gift. Remember, when it says that God spoke at Mount Sinai, he kissed us with the kisses of his lips. Each mitzvah is a kiss from the kiss of the mouth of Hashem. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life and review us, and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.